0: A tour. Hi, Dave. Hi, Eric. Hey, Dave, do we curse on this
1: podcast? Yes, Eric. Yes, we do. Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome, Welcome to, to Adventures, Adventures in Collecting. collecting where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors.
0: Our guest today is the founder and CEO of the Nacelle Company, a notable toy historian, Grammy Award winner, and the man behind shows like The Toys That Made Us and The Movies That Made Us and the upcoming Toy Store Near You on
2: Netflix. Welcome to Adventures in Collecting, Brian Volkweiss. Thank you for having me. And not to correct you immediately, but I just, I always like to be anal about this stuff. Uh, It will not be on Netflix. Um, It won't. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: It'll be on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and a lot of other places. And listen, it could be on Netflix a long time from now, but it will not be premiering on Netflix. That's for sure. Gotcha. So that that, that May 29th uh,
0: premiere date will be on Amazon.
2: It'll be on Amazon Prime and YouTube. And then basically what we're doing, and this is, you know, everything about everything with COVID and whatnot is unusual. So we're just kind of going with the flow of embracing unusual. Um, you know, we, rather than wait to have 10 episodes done, which, you know, that that could be three or four months, Um We're basically, and if anyone has done this before, I'm not aware of it, Um, but I'm not saying we're the first because I hate when people say that and you're like, you're not the first, but um, we're just going to pop them out as they're done. So we just locked the second episode today. We should be locking the third and fourth and we're going to put them out on Amazon Prime and YouTube immediately and then basically put them everywhere else uh, that our distribution network is. And that'll be Roku you know, probably Tubi, um, you know, Pluto, places like that. So, you know, within reason, within 90 days to, yeah, within about 90 days of every premiere, it should be, in theory, everywhere else that you would go to watch anything. So from Samsung TV to you name it. Very cool.
0: Well, cool. before we dive into the, the nitty-gritty of, of the shows and, and, and everything, we always like to ask our guests uh, what they're currently collecting and what toy line has, has you uh, excited at the moment.
2: Well, my newest thing, and this is like less than a week old, um, is Micro Machines. And that is because a new book came out uh, I think it's called uh, micro but uh, mighty or mighty but micro, um, and the publishers sent me a copy of the book. Uh, you know, people send us stuff all the time, and uh, if I get excited about it, I'll post about it. Um, and uh, I, I really was into micro machines when I was a kid, but I just kind of fell out of it, and I was never really into it. Like right now, this very second, I don't have a single micro machine uh, in my collection. So. But I can feel the, uh, the attraction uh, building with inside me, and I guarantee you within a month or two, I'm going to have a pretty nice, uh, you know, I'll probably have at least three to five, and within a year or two, probably a couple dozen, because uh, that's, uh, that's how my collecting is. You know, I go from zero to 100 uh, very quickly. So that's my newest thing. Uh, And then my, you know, I'm always collecting Star Wars. I'm always collecting G.I. Joe, always collecting Transformers, always collecting Batman, always collecting RoboCop. Um, I'm, you know, I'll tell you something that always surprises toy people. I was never, ever, ever into He-Man until we made the He-Man episode, the toys that made us. Uh, And now, you know, there's specific He-Mans I'm into. Uh, and, you know, I'm always, you know, pretty cautious with price. So, you know, if I, if I see a figure using He-Man, it, well, sometimes I'm cautious. My wife would tell you I'm not cautious at all. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, and then I'm always into Star Trek. I always forget about Star Trek, but I like I, Star Trek might be my biggest collection, weirdly enough. Um, and I'm into Legos as well, but I'm not really, I'm not into vintage Legos at all. So whenever a new set comes out, like I just built the 89 Batmobile, um, I just built, built uh, Mega blocks' Constitution Class Enterprise. So yeah, that's, that's, did that answer your question or, or
1: uh, was that too much or too little? No, that was perfect. Yeah, I just did the 89 Batmobile too. How wild was that thing? It was wonderful. Absolutely
2: yeah. wonderful.
0: It was so cool. Well, with your with your micro machines, there's there's quite a crossover with micro machines and Star Wars. If you start getting into some of the stuff from the 90s, that those were the only micro machines I had were the Star Wars micro machine sets. And they are a blast. Like they're great to display, too, because a lot of them, the sets fold up and look like um, miniature busts of characters. Like it, it's it, once you start looking into that stuff, I, th- I think you're you're going to open up Pandora's box. Well, you
2: know what? I accidentally lied to you. Uh, because I forgot about Star Wars and Star Trek micro machines. Uh, now that you reminded me, I do have micro machines in my collection. Uh, in fact, not only do I have them in my collection, they're some of the oldest parts of my collection. Uh, yes, so I will reword what I said. If you remove Star Wars and Star Trek, and I think I have a couple Babylon 5s, uh, then I have no micro machines. Yeah, I was kind of referring just to like cars, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I did go down that wormhole a long time ago.
1: So, um, among the many stand up comedians you've worked with over the years, do you talk toys with any of them?
2: Very few. Uh, Moshe Kesher, yes. Moshe Kesher is a big Star Trek guy. Um, Jeff Dunham, he's a huge geek. Uh, I've never been around Jeff Dunham and not talked about Batman.
0: I saw that, I saw that you had you had done some work with Patton
2: Oswald. I figured that would be yeah. a big yeah, toy you know, toy con- con- conversation right there. You're absolutely right. When there used to be this thing that existed called "Toys Are Us." Uh, the toys are Us near my office, uh, about three to four times a year, uh, I would bump into Patton there, uh, and we would always uh, catch up on toys. and usually, when I bump into him, Uh, And and by the way, another one I forgot about, but you're absolutely right, is Brian Posehn. We always talk about uh, Star Wars. Yeah, because I
0: just feel like it's it's one of those things where there is so much crossover with those guys because they're you know like especially with a comedian, right? Because your your life kind of ends up becoming your material. And I can think vividly of a couple of uh, Patton's uh, bits that involve his toys. So I was. You know when I when I was looking up your history and and when uh, when Dave and I were looking up your history and we saw all of the work that you had done with stand up comedy, we were, we were like, oh man, I bet there are some good toy stories there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's um, um, it's funny. I'm look. I just went to IMDb to look at my credits to see who I'm forgetting about. Oh, I mean, obviously Kevin Smith. Oh my god. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean Kevin Smith's one of these people, like. I mean, when we're together, it's it's like I mean to call to say we go down a wormhole would be a uh, understatement. And I will say this: this doesn't really count, but I'll tell it to you because it's funny. Uh, Bob Saget. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. He is—he's not a Star Wars fan at all, but he has like a random Yoda in his uh, office, and uh, he always—not always, but frequently when we're talking or texting—he'll send me a picture of his Yoda and make a joke about it. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that definitely, that counts, that counts. By the way, a lot of the comedians make fun of me uh, for being a geek. In fact, almost any time we work with Moshe, uh, I give him something uh, Star Trek related. So, so you, you've become part of the material yourself. <laughs> I actually am in a few jokes. Uh, Ali, one of Ali Wong's jokes in her second special is about me, uh, but it is not about my uh, toy collector you recently posted two pictures on your Instagram of two very
0: strange and unique one-off figures. Um, and something that you know, we have, we have never seen before or heard of, but the, the judge Dredd prototype and the Luke Skywalker
2: prototype. Um, how did you come across those? Well, I'm scared to answer the question because then if you, if you don't know how or where I got them, that means you're, blissfully unaware of the prototyping community uh which means your wallets are fatter uh than they will (laughs) uh after i tell you this but yeah ma'am it's really funny uh about four years ago five years ago um a guy named brian stillman uh had made a movie um about star wars toys uh called um plastic galaxy And I had read an article about it in USA Today. I reached out to him. We got lunch a couple months later. And Brian, by the way, would be the first person I called after Toys That Made Us got greenlit. And he and I like text literally every single day, like seven days a week for years. Um, Anyway, uh, he got me into my first private uh, Facebook. Like, if you search for this, you won't find it. So maybe you're safe. Uh, But there are these, like, private Facebook groups for prototypes. And uh, he got me into one, and then I got into another, and I got into another. And all these groups are is what you saw on those posts. It's, um, they're just unbelievable uh, pieces of history of either the beginnings of toy lines or as it relates to the Judge Dredd and that Luke Skywalker, you know, parts of history that didn't happen, you know, that Luke Skywalker, you know, was Playmate's um, attempt to get into the Star Wars business when uh, Lucasfilm opened it up to everybody after Hasbro slash Kenner lost the exclusivity. So to me, first of all, I'm a big Judge Dredd fan. Second of all, I love that, again, the history of what didn't happen. Had the movie been a success, that figure would have come out and been in stores. By the movie bombing, a movie I love, by the way, this is the Stallone version, uh, it never happened. And uh, the same thing is, you know, with Playmates losing the bake-off to Hasbro, um, you know, that became a piece of history uh, and never made it to store shelves.
1: It's amazing this stuff survives too that's the only, that's the thing that i find the the craziest about whenever you see prototypes of anything well
2: it's amazing it survived and i agree with you but what's even more amazing to me there's new stuff being discovered all the time um mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago uh what, another one of my big deep dive collections is dune david lynch's dune and there, uh, LJN did a beautiful line that basically bankrupted the company, I might add. Um, but uh, LJN did a beautiful line of dune figures. And they had the movie succeeded, there would have been a second and third and fourth series. And for the longest time, uh, Queen Catherine, there was only two known heads of hers that were made, uh, the wax sculpture heads. And they just like a couple weeks ago found like another another one. So, you know, for like 30 years, there was only known to be two. Now there's three.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's crazy to, to think about stuff like that because it, it, like maybe, maybe that, that one extra figure that came out or that extra wave would have done something to actually, you know, help the, the franchise or like, you know, that Judge Dredd movie, there's so much toyetic in in that film regardless of what you think of it per- personally I-, I also enjoy it. Um, Dave I don't I don't know if I'm speaking for you as well on that
1: one I like both I like the new one and the uh, the original
0: i I gotta I have to imagine that like if some of those monster looking toys came out like like the the cannibals that lived in the desert, um, like those those characters would have made such good toys. Like, would it have given the film like additional legs? Would it have given it you know kind of a, a little bit more of a cult following that it already had?
2: I, I I honestly don't think so. And again, I say this as a fan of both movies. Um, you know, as somebody that greenlights things speculatively, not knowing if they're going to succeed or not, I, I have a real interest in. You know, past, present, and future green lights that companies make, and I would argue, Judge, you you should not be investing fifty to eighty million dollars in nineteen ninety six on a movie that's only going to really apply appeal to dudes, um, and and that's for Judge Dredd, Dune. I mean. And I I say this about the new one. Listen, I'll be there opening night for the new one. But to spend money like that on a movie that is probably not going to be enjoyed by, you know, there's four quadrants. There's young men, there's young women, there's old men, there's old women. So to spend money like that on a one or two quadrant film, I, I think is bonkers. And no amount of toys, especially for Dune. I don't know how familiar <laughs> you are with that. David Lynch's, yes,
1: That's
2: yes, insane. Um, <laughs> and I love it. I mean, I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. I have one of my favorite prototypes is from Dune. Um, I, I have so much consumer products from Dune. I have an entire shelf dedicated to Dune. But you, you can't, you, you can't you know, Star Wars worked because it appealed to all four quadrants, certainly three quadrants. um, But arguably four um, that. Yeah, I I don't think the toys would have saved either movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic (laughs) regarding it saving the movie, but it's just it's just to me. It, it's interesting the amount of thought and artistry that goes into those things, and the fact that they stay buried for as l- as long as they do. Like, um, zo- like Zombie Sailor toys on on Instagram recently posted a picture of a Last Action Hero Arnold figure yeah. that was supposed to come out yeah. that didn't that he f- managed to find on card. Like, yeah, with the black shirt. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's I Wild. Those. I-, I love that movie. Uh, I'm looking. I, you know, I'm working out of my home, as you know. As we all are, uh, and I'm looking at Michael. Yeah, I got uh, I got three last action heroes on card right now that I'm looking at. Well,
1: even think about like the Dick Tracy blank figure that you know, they didn't put out originally because it was a spoiler. Yeah, and then like maybe kind of never did.
2: Like the uh, the Wonder Bread He Man. So speaking speaking of
0: of, uh, of He Man and some of these these more um, prominent toy toy uh, lines that that we've talked about uh the toys that made us right so uh you you guys really nailed the nostalgia factor with that show um (laughs) even for the lines that you know a lot of people know and love there was still so much new to be learned uh to, to be learned from from the seasons of that how how do you go about selecting the lines that you want to feature on that show
2: um, well, first of all, Netflix uh, very nicely uh, just let me pick. So let's start with that. Uh, the, the, no other network I've worked with in my life would have done that. Uh, and then the rule that I used, which I broke with Star Trek. I want to be honest about that. Um, but I basically had a bunch of rules. Um, and rules, by the way, is in quotes. Um I basically, there had to be a character that, like, if there was a Mount Rushmore of toys, w- at least one of the characters could have been on the Mount Rushmore. And my example would be, like, my wife doesn't give a shit about Transformers, but she can recognize Optimus Prime and Bumblebee on site. So it, it, had to, it, had to, it had to work with something like that. Then there had to be a good story. So, like, there's some toys that are massive successes, but they don't really have a good story. So, um, so that was also a variable. And then the other thing that I really tried to do was I wanted all the toys that we did to be multi generational because I really looked at it as constituents. So, like, you know, I'll give you an example of what we didn't do. Like, a lot of people are like, you got to do mask, You got to do mask. And I'm like, Mask was up for three years. Uh, arguably, the third year was a complete disaster uh, to the point where Ma- season three of Mask had very little to do with seasons one and two. It was like a very peculiar like reboot within the first generation. But even without that, it was a three-year toy line. So you're not going to get generations of fans. Whereas with star wars or barbie or hello kitty or even i a gi joe you're gonna have at least two or three or even barely four generations of netflix subscribers that are interested so and i by the way one of the rules that i broke one of the lines that i broke the rule on believe it or not was he-man because he-man really was a one generation toy and as popular as that episode is to some degree, um, it's, you know, Hello Kitty, believe it or not, if I had to guess, and I don't know the numbers, they don't tell us, um, I guarantee you Hello Kitty performed better than He-Man. Hello Kitty was definitely the most shocking episode for,
0: for me. Like in, ter- in terms of like, uh, like not knowing a, a thing about the toy line, but recognizing the, the, the iconography from that brand the the ins and outs of of that toy line were absolutely
2: insane (laughs) uh we can make a two-hour documentary about the making of that episode i mean i i had a rule with making the show that it was going to be a positive show um i worked really hard to avoid um dark negative stuff because at the end of the day it was a show about toys you know we were interviewing uh Hasbro employees that had been fired 30 years earlier after Hasbro bought Kenner and they were crying and angry and Any other show i've ever produced that would have been at the front of the episode and in the trailer But I just didn't include stuff like that. And to that point With the hello kitty. I mean It was Bonkers. I mean the company was bonkers the i mean everything about it was bonkers um but i just didn't include it in the episode because that's just not the show i was making but yeah we we uh we we could have made a very different episode and out of respect to Sanrio uh and how open they were to us and i would argue in some ways uh, too open uh we we did not uh, show some of the uh, warts uh that we uh we saw
1: so what would you say would be the most challenging? Would that be the most challenging thing that you came across in putting together the, the stories and the series? Or was there yeah. something else?
2: No, I mean, Hello Kitty was the hardest episode to make. Um, second hardest to make was Lego. Because, first of all, there were a lot of documentaries about Lego. So we had to work really hard to find something original about it. But the other problem with Lego, with, uh, LEGO is they really don't have characters the way the other lines do so it's very easy to push emotional buttons you know with showing luke and leia he-man and skeletor cobra commander and destro whatever but you really didn't have that with lego so we had to work really really hard uh, to find an original way into the story um and to be completely honest I think we came close. I, I'm. That's one of the episodes I wish I wish uh, I could get a, a do over. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause see, like that that was one where I mean, granted, to, you know, to your point, there's a lot of information out there about Lego, but like I I just feel like I I feel like you guys did tackle that at a much different angle than than anything else I had I had previously seen about it. Like I, I feel like it was it was more. I mean, I don't want to say gritty, because the show's not really, to your point, it's, it's meant to be a positive show, but I feel like it touched on things that, that I had not seen in other documentaries.
1: Yeah, I feel like I learned a lot from it, too. I, I appreciate you saying it. I'm probably
2: being too hard on myself. Um, and You know, whatever. That's what, you know, as an artist, that's what you're, how you're supposed to be. You know, you always think you can do better. Uh, you know, one of the openings uh, for the episodes, drives me crazy we didn't do something else. So, um, listen, I'm sure it's fine. I, I've heard no criticism of the episode, literally none. Um, but I, I know a way to do it now that I... Like, I'll give you an example. The Transformers episode, that whole thing with the, the tin cans, with the opening and how it all came back to the tin cans, that was literally... Like, we had a completely different episode that was very, in my opinion, boring, and we just hadn't cracked it. And then I just was going through transcripts and transcripts, trying to find a different way to tell the story when I saw the word tuna fish can or tin can had appeared three times. And I was like, why does tin can appear three times? And that helped us crack the episode. And I think we made a very original Transformers documentary because we figured that out. And then also the stuff with, with Cullen. Uh, and his brother, um, so I, but I just feel with Lego, um, if I could do it all over again, I, I really, more than we did, uh, we only touched upon it, but more than we did, I would have, the, the company was traumatized from almost going out of business in 03. I mean, traumatized. Every interview we did and billed, Um, like literally, I'll never forget, we were interviewed, she's in the episode, uh, we interview her um, uh, primarily about Lego Friends, but I remember talking to her, and she was probably 28, 29 years old when we interviewed her, and she was traumatized uh, by the 2003 almost bankruptcy, and she was probably in junior high school when that happened. So the fact that there was an employee who didn't work at Lego in 03, that was traumatized by it. That was really interesting. And I think it's a real testament to Lego and how respectful they are of the delicateness of staying in business and success that a brand new employee 20 years later, or 15 years later, whatever, um, was literally talking about the bankruptcy as though she had worked at the company when she had I've never seen that before, and I've interviewed people who have worked at dozens of companies. Yeah, I mean, it,
0: the, it, there's definitely you know we we've had the opportunity to talk to um, both both Amy Corbett and uh, and Jamie Burrard from the the Lego Masters show on Fox. They were the two judges. Yeah, and and we it's very obvious speaking to both of them that there is this very like close knit family vibe for what's going on, you know, in Denmark at that company. Yeah. So, uh, you know, part of me is like, wow, that's really, you know, that is shocking. But on the other hand, it's like, ah, oh, you know what? It kind of makes sense because I bet they ingrain that kind of like shared
2: feeling culture, you know, throughout all of their employees. Yeah. I mean, every single room except for bathrooms, conference rooms, offices, every single room uh, in Billund and this is probably true for other Lego offices too, uh, it has a container in it filled with red Lego bricks. And basically what they're doing is they're making sure nobody forgets. No matter what you do here, no matter how high falutin you might run the uh, uh, Star Wars account, you might run Ninjago. It's all about the bricks. Don't ever forget. It's all about the bricks. I'm sure you've gotten this question
0: a million and a half times, but we can't have you on a toy podcast and not talk about season four of, of everyone, every toy collector's favorite series.
2: (laughs) If there is a season four and it has not been greenlit yet, but if there is a senior season four, um, I know what toys we're doing. I can't say what they are, Um, but um, two of them are super obvious. Um, one of them is medium obvious, and one of them, if Netflix lets me do it, um, will be a uh, a personal um, bookend for myself. Um, based and you know I've said it in other interviews, so I, I can tell you what it is. It literally would be an episode called, it, and it would be the last episode of the show, um, the toys that should have not been made. Um, and it'll focus on LJN's Dune line. And it'll be, the I think, the perfect bookend to Star Wars because um, it'll, it'll really show how delicate success is. Like how everything went perfect with Star Wars and Kenner. Everything went wrong and sideways with Dune and LJN. And there's a lot of toys like that. I mean, there's a lot of companies you know um i forget the name of the company but um trendmasters i think did the independence day line is that right oh yeah yeah i yep, think so i think that's wrong. right yeah and largely went out of business because of independence day and that's a really weird example because the movie succeeded um and if you remember the toys they made, they were fantastic. They had motion yeah. sensors in them. This was in, like, 1996. I mean, they were extremely complicated toys. But the-
0: they, came with, um, they came with
2: floppy disks yeah. with, with games on them.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm looking at one right now, yeah. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, and it
2: was a disaster, absolute disaster. So you, you can, you know, what's it called? Monday morning quarterback it? But yeah, so that's really how I want to end the show. Because to me, the toys are obviously very important to me and very personal to me. But to me, the show is really about the delicateness of success. Um, And I think by showing an entire episode, of, even though this sounds depressing, we would find a fun way to do it. The failures, um, I think it'll really support the rest of the show. I could sit here all day and take guesses at what the the
0: obvious toys would be, but like, I it's just there. I and I know that there. Are, I'm sure you get requests, like you mentioned mask. Yeah. But like I'm sure, I'm sure the 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 toy biz, uh, you know, Marvel line, and you know the Kenner Batman figures. Like I'm I'm sure you get requests out the wazoo for for lines like that. But I uh, yeah, I re- really hope you get get to do this season four.
2: I've made a lot of TV shows that nobody get cares about. So the fact that every day people are, you know, reaching out, wanting to talk to me about this stuff, I, I haven't taken it for granted for uh, even a billionth of a second. Well, speaking of TV
0: shows that, that we want to talk about, uh, we started talking about it at the top of the show, but tell us, tell us a little bit more about how uh, a toy store near you uh, came came into be.
2: Well, you may have heard of this uh, thing called COVID. Uh, so, uh, basically, um, I was there are these two vintage toy stores near my office. Uh, one is called Black Cat Collectibles. The other is called Blast from the Past. So, I was talking to the owners of those stores. You know, I go into them usually three or four times a month, and they were talking about how the quarantine uh, was going to, you know, crush them. So. I had that on my mind. And then my wife, like that night or the next night, whatever, was watching a show uh, about a, a chef. Uh, and it was on YouTube. She was watching it on our TV, but it was YouTube. And it was literally about a chef cooking noodles. And I suddenly was like, why don't we do that for the toy stores? We could get exposure for the toy stores. So maybe their online sales will go up. And every time people watch the episode, we'll make money and we could send most of the money to them. So I call Billy Galaxy, who owns one of my favorite toy stores in the whole world, Billy Galaxy Toys in Portland, Oregon. And um, I said to him, I go, dude, if you filmed it, do you think if I told you what to shoot, you could film it? And like, we can make an episode? And he was like, yeah. So we put out a press release and we got about 50 stores all over the world. Two from Japan, one from Taiwan, England, Argentina, Netherlands, you name it. And basically they're all shooting their own footage where we give them a list of things we need them to shoot. And then we edit them In our own company, and we, um, you know, uh, color correct, audio correct, everything. We created an opening sequence, yada, yada, yada. And the first episode, which is Billy Galaxy, uh, comes out May 29th. Yeah,
1: that was going to be something um, I was going to ask is, how do you kind of tackle that and have it turn around, especially now? Because I'm a paranoid uh, mofo. Um,
2: I started evacuating my company uh, uh, February 29th. So by the time we got quarantined, I had already had my entire staff move into their homes and also shipped all the equipment to their homes. So we've been fully functional since the California quarantine started, which was one of the earliest in the country. So basically, the uh, toy stores uh, dropbox us the footage. We edit them into a cut. I give notes with the editor, who's a full-time employee. And then we see what we don't have. And then we ask the toy store to shoot more. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. And then we lock the episode. And then we deliver. And, and they're just doing this on their iPhones? Or are yeah. you also
0: shipping equipment? No. Nope. Uh,
2: I'd say at least at minimum, 95% of it is on iPhones. And I mean, you, the trailer went out today, so I don't know if you've seen the trailer or not, but yes, yes, we did. did That looked to you like it was shot on iPhones. Not at all. Yeah. And again, that's not me taking props for myself and my company. I'm giving props to the Apple corporation.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, so we, we set up this call. So we're recording today is, is uh, May 7th. We set up this call about a week ago. And, you know, since then, a lot of um, more information has come out about the show, and the the trailer happened to drop today, which was a a nice little serendipitous moment because um, now we get to talk about it. But yeah, I, I I was shocked, which is why as soon as we we both saw the trailer, I, I was I was texting with Dave and I, I was saying like, how the how the fuck did they shoot this? I bet they're sending a, a camera around in a no, shipping box. That's
2: literally you know? done with people's phones. And then, you know, we have our color correcting systems that we use for Netflix and Disney Plus. So, I mean, it is going through our very powerful machines and our very talented colorists and audio uh, people. Um, But that being said, none of those machines work if the data is not strong enough from the camera. And, yeah, the iPhones are strong enough. The uh, 10 and above.
0: So, how many episodes again are you planning for this uh, for this this uh, series? We
2: have deals with fifty stores. We have footage from thirty-seven. Um, I hope because, like I said, we we give notes and then we need more footage. That is proven to be a little tricky. So, my hope is we get to make at least thirty. Um, and the reason we wouldn't do fifty is just because. And I completely understand this. I, I, I'm, so I'm not chastising a business owner. But, you know, as COVID hopefully starts to go away and the toy stores open again, they're not going to have as much time to shoot stuff for us. So yeah. if 50 stores get us what we need, there will be 50 episodes. You know, a term that is normally used in a negative sense, I have always found you can find positive applications for it if you embrace it. Uh, and I am definitely embracing a, quote-unquote, loosey-goosey uh, methodology. <laughs> so it, this is a labor of love for everybody, um, and it'll be what it'll be. There could be 20 episodes. There could be 52 episodes. It, it's whatever the stores want to do, we're happy to support
0: I I know the toy community is really excited about this, you know, the the buzz already around the trailer and you know when when the show was announced because a lot of us, you know, and in your, yourself included, you know, we all have our favorite local shops and the last thing that we want, you know, to happen is for them to go away because of all of this.
1: And you know, we're always looking for a new place to go too. So,
2: yeah, exactly. And because of my stand-up comedy business, I travel a lot. So, I have favorite stores in almost every city. Like when I go to Chicago, like I got to like, it's Sophie's choice. Like I usually only have time to go to two stores. Minneapolis is just as bad. Like there's like four stores in Minneapolis that I love. So I am dialed in. And then when every now and then I get to go to a new city, um, because I usually go to like the same 20, 30 cities over and over. Uh, By the way, Seattle, oh my God like like, 300 toy stores there. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, uh, I, whenever I go to a new city, I love finding the vintage toy store. Uh, also the pawn shops, by the way. Pawn shops don't get enough credit. Uh, you can get some great stuff at pawn shops. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's my favorite thing in the world to do. Because when you're shooting stand-up specials, I usually don't have to be on set till four or five o'clock. So and then we don't start shooting till 7 p.m. So yeah, going to these toy stores during the day in the era of Uber uh is the greatest thing in the world. Well, once we're
0: allowed to travel again safely, um, we'll definitely be hitting you up when we <laughs> when we're going around. and We're like, hey Brian, we're here. We're <laughs> what's good? <laughs> what's yeah. what's good in what's good in uh this state? Please do. <laughs> definitely. And and uh before we let you go and and let you get back to uh to producing more incredible content and in all types of varieties um is there anything other than than the new show that you want to plug? Is there any cool stand up stuff that you have that you're working on any anything that you want uh want our listeners to know about
2: you know it's funny these questions uh, I'm always hamstrung answering them because I can only talk about what's been made public so like <laughs> There's so much stuff I want to tell you I can't tell you. But what I can tell you is we have, in my very unhumble and biased opinion, we have a wonderful show coming out uh, in uh, the fourth quarter uh, on Disney Plus uh, called Behind the Attraction, uh, which is all about the – we're partnered up with Dwayne Johnson and his company, Seven Bucks, uh, and that's all about individual attractions, also known as rides. Uh, and uh, Parks. So that's coming out uh, hopefully in November, December. And then we have another show coming out that has been announced, but it hasn't gotten too much press yet on BET Plus uh, that's coming out next month uh, called All the Way Black. Uh, And that show is a very, very deep nostalgic dive into African-American pop culture. Uh, So uh, we do a show for the CW called Discontinued. Um, and, uh, this is, it's not like the African-American version of discontinued to be sure, but it's a very similar deep dive into, um, a very specific part of American culture. And in this case, African-American culture.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I I can't wait for all of that. You, my, my, literally my ears perked up when you said that you were making a show about attractions with The Rock. Yeah. Um, Cause that's the other thing that Dave and I are very passionate about is Disney world and Disneyland. So <laughs> you,
2: uh, you, you, uh, you will be, uh, you will be blown away. The access. I, I mean, I, I, I hope they don't mind me saying this. I mean, we would be d- seeing things and doing things where I'm like, if they knew we'd be doing this, I don't think they would have greenlit the show. <laughs> like, awesome this thing third shift tour <laughs> it started at 9 p.m and went till 6 a.m i mean at disney at anaheim i mean what we saw uh, this is the one thing i'll say and again i hope disney doesn't get mad at me for saying this anybody who saw you know how everybody gets mad at disney for their ticket prices being so high yeah if people saw what i saw they would be shocked they actually can make a profit
0: yeah you you saw a lot of what they would refer to on the internet as uh as not safe for magic and n s f m
2: well it's it's funny and i know i know you're joking but but I will say this what they do what the imagineers do is so mind blowing that in a weird way like first of all, unless you're five years old, inherently you know there's no magic so correct but arguably when you see what they've done to make it appear to be magic, at least in my opinion, it's more impressive and more magical because like there's something, there's, there's an attraction I was behind the scenes on. I can't tell you what it was, but seeing how it worked and knowing that there was a staff meeting at some point where somebody said, Hey, If we do X, Y, and Z, we could make this happen. The fact that this employee was not laughed out of the room or fired, but this corporation went on to spend billions of dollars to do what I think in any other company would have been like, is this guy drunk? (laughs)
1: Like,
2: it was like just crazy. I mean, like I said, there was this one thing I saw, and I saw many things like this, but this one thing in particular, I just remember like it was time to go on to the next thing. And I just stood there looking at this being like, this is a billion pounds of concrete. This is not one, not two. This is dozens of like the most powerful computers on earth. Like put together in a room, like, like, yeah. I mean, it was just stuff like that where it really felt magical. In a in a weird way.
0: Well, we're gonna ha- once this show comes out, we're just gonna have to have you come back on, so that way we can give <laughs> give more context to the stuff that you're hinting at. <laughs> that that would be my pleasure. Awesome. Well, we'll reconvene. Yeah, we'll reconvene and we'll do a special episode once the show's out on Disney Plus, and we'll have you back on, so that way we can <laughs> we could revisit all this cool shit.
2: <laughs> For uh, sure. Oh. I wish you had cursed sooner. I didn't know I could curse. I've been holding it on to curse.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. I usually give that green light at the beginning. Yeah, no. I mean, if you want to get a couple
2: out, <laughs> it just, it like just it. cracks me up. Whenever I curse, the podcast is like, whoa, hey, hey please, this is, this is a family show. And then when I do curse, it's like, oh, oh fuck, I
1: could have. It's, it's a family show in the sense that my brother and I host it. There you go.
2: The best kind of family.
0: Yeah, our, our upfront is actually the, the first thing that you hear is uh, is is us asking each other if we curse on the episode. And ah, we all right, say yes, next time, so. next time. <laughs> Will do. All right, Brian, Thank, dude, thank you so much for, for being here with us. This was a great, great chat. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. A lot of fun. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you guys are doing. I appreciate it very, very much.
0: Thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us today. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen, and then tell your friends to do it. Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both in our show notes.
1: Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode.
0: Don't try this at home, void where prohibited and some assembly required. Each sold separately, not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours.
1: This has been a non-productive media presentation.